2: Ball's got to get the prior Booth, Johnson and Pickens. It's that simple. This is Saverin on Steelers.
3: Hello to everyone in Steelers Nation, and welcome to the Saverin on Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Stan Saverin, and we post up here on Steelers.com twice weekly. So We hope if you enjoy the Steelers content we bring you, that uh, you'll tell your friends, neighbors, relatives, your pets, anybody. Uh, to tune in to go to Steelers.com and listen to our podcast. The Steelers coming off um, a win. I wouldn't use the adjective impressive, but it did represent a step in the right direction. How far have they traveled in a positive nature? Well, it's a long way back from being two and six. It's going to take a while to reach a level of equilibrium. So for the time being, a win is a win is a win, even though there were certainly flaws in the win. Let's take a look at a couple of, of different elements of, of the, the game on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. And any remarks that I'm going to make are prefaced with the understanding that the New Orleans Saints aren't a very good football team. They are 3-7, and seven, and as Bill Parcells said, you are what your record says you are. But then again, I would imagine in New Orleans are saying, how could you look so poor against a team like the Steelers that were 2-6? and six? So turnabout is fair play. Two not very good teams at this point of the season playing each other. But I think we have to look at development for the Steelers. Where indeed are they headed? Let's start with Kenny Pickett. I thought that early on in the game, really for most of the first half, he looked very tentative to me. Having a chance to be at the game and sitting high up in the press box, you're able to see what you're not able to see on TV, plays developing, who's open, who's not. Uh, And I thought that there were plays to be made had he pulled the trigger more decisively. I don't think that he did that on Sunday. I think he got better as the game went along. I thought he definitely got better as the game progressed throughout the 60 minutes of play. But that's what you expect from a young quarterback. It's what you expect from a rookie quarterback. When you look at the quarterbacks, even those drafted last year, just in their second year, they're still going through growing pains. It takes time. And this is what, once the Steelers made the commitment to Kenny Pickett, they've got to stay with that, and they've got to suffer, suffer, if you will, the slings and arrows of what you get with a rookie quarterback. I think on a more positive note, the running game was much more, at a level where they want it to be, where they need it to be. The biggest thing for me about the running game was, is that if you take away the eight carries that Kenny Pickett had, they had more runs than they did passes. In today's NFL, maybe that's unrealistic to expect that or want that every week. I think if you had a 55 Pass, 45-run ratio, that'd be okay. And the biggest reason why is earlier on in the season when Pickett played, if you prorated over a 60-minute program, they were passing the ball 44 times a game. That's way too many. If you look at NFL stats going back any number of years, even in this pass-happy era, If you pass the ball 40 or more times, the chances are you are the losing team. It's just what the stats say. Generally, if you're passing the ball 44 times, it means what? You're behind. And you're trying to catch up. And to do that, you have to throw the ball. But in the Steelers' particular instance, in this particular season, you're asking a rookie quarterback, to take on too much of the load. You don't want to put the ball in his hands and say, here, win it for me. You'd rather put him in a position where he passes because you want him to, not because he has to. And that's the, my biggest takeaway from the game on Sunday. Overall, 43 runs, eight of them by picket, but only 30 passes. In today's day and age, that's an acceptable number. And if they continue that, I think they'll win more games than they lose the rest of the way. The running game came up bigger. I wouldn't say come up big, but came up bigger than it has been. Najee Harris, 20 carries, 99 yards. You'll take that every day of the week, whether you're playing on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Five yards per carry. And maybe the most important element of that, they had one pass attempted to him. Maybe they could utilize him a bit more. He's going to be effective in the pass game. But they're limiting his touches. One of the items that they wanted to achieve this year, they understood that they cannot have Najee Harris with 30 touches per game, which is what he was getting last year. 20 catches, a, uh, 20 touches a game, 20 runs, maybe two, three targets on passes. That's an acceptable rate. And sure enough, he had 20 rushes, one target on a pass, almost came up with it for a long game. And that brings in Jalen Warren into the equation. Nine carries, forty yards, four point one per carry, and maybe more importantly, two pass receptions for twenty-three yards. He got a third of the touches among running backs in the ball game. That's exactly what I'd like to see. A two thirds split between Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Warren, to me, has been a revelation. Initially, I think we all thought he was a guy who was a better version of Benny Snell, meaning an inside guy, a strong runner, who, when he saw the hole, would hit it and hit it decisively and quickly. But what I saw from Jalen Warren yesterday was a back who had much better speed than I thought he had. He got outside a couple of runs. He got outside on a couple of screen passes. This is a welcome addition. It makes you wonder how he went undrafted. Well, I'll answer my own question. NFL scouts look at a kid coming out of college and say, well, he's too small. He's too short. But Jalen Warren shows he's a strong runner at whatever size he is. And the fact that he can now catch a screen pass catch a swing pass, catch a pass out in the flat, and has the speed to get outside as he did on that one 23-yarder to set up a field goal. He adds something through his individual performance, but also because they can trust him now, limits the amount of touches. And another significant factor in that regard was Najee Harris saying after the game, that he understands that a guy like Jalen Warren can make him, meaning Harris, better because he's not paying, paying and taking the pounding that he was receiving in past years. The kicking game, well, they'll have to get Matthew Wright, right, if you will, because Boswell, Chris Boswell, has to miss at least the next two games. The defense was outstanding, again, taking into account that the Saints aren't very good in their current state. Andy Dalton is a backup. They were missing three starting offensive linemen. They're missing their best wide receiver and Michael Thomas. But still, you get an idea of what this defense could be with T.J. Watt back now. They played without Miles Jack. Let's not forget that. Alex Highsmith is developing into a—now, he's not a T.J. Watt, but maybe he becomes a Lamar Woodley, playing on the other side of a James Harrison. And, of course, we don't know when we'll see Minka Fitzpatrick again, but we saw the effect that that Demonte KZ can have, and I thought Levi Wallace had his best game as a Steeler. The Steelers and Mike Tomlin thought this defense could be a dominant defense— Maybe we're beginning to see the root elements of that. Time of possession, 39 minutes to 21. They allowed the Saints, again, limited, but they limited them to a mere 10 first downs. That's winning football. So have they taken a step out of the woods? Mike Prezuta is on the DV Morning Show He's also on the Steelers Radio Network pregame show. And Mike joins us now on Saverin on Steelers. And Mike, do you think the Steelers made a giant stride out of the woods that they've been in?
2: I did, and I, I see it that way fully understanding that the Saints are not very good and they are profoundly injured. And the schedule was set up totally in the Steelers' favor with New Orleans having to play on Monday night then go on the road. But sometimes that's what happens in the NFL. All you can do is play who you're playing. And I think they dominated that game now that it was still tied up uh, until early in the fourth quarter is on the Steelers for not taking more advantage of the opportunities they had. But uh, the two biggest things uh, they were looking for, uh, making plays on the ball defensively. They were able to do that twice via interceptions and getting some splash out of the offense. And I think it was six plays of uh, more than 21 yards, which isn't all that much for both teams, Stan, but, hey, it was a bonanza for the Steelers in that offense.
3: Right, based on what we've seen up until this point. uh, How would – I thought, and we discussed this a bit earlier, that Kenny Pickett looked very tentative early in the game, um, Trubisky-like in his first couple games, um, and that there were plays to be made. But overall, uh, how would you evaluate his play?
2: I, I was encouraged that he was trying to make more plays. And they, they have to make more. He's got to get better. I agree with the tentative assessment. But I think one thing he's done a really good job of ever since he started playing is using his legs when applicable. And that's got to continue. And he talked about that afterward. He had a really productive day running the football, and you know, some timely chain-moving gains. Uh, the one-on-one that he hit uh, with Deontay Johnson late third quarter was critical because the game was still tied then. They won that long drive that led to a field goal. But I, I did see him trying more slants over the middle, yeah. uh, more deeper shots, throwing the ball into the end zone. So he even threw one to Pat Friermuth when Friermuth was in double coverage. And I almost wanted to stand up and applaud because there's no rule against that. And it, it wound up as an incompletion but uh, at least they know now, I think, particularly this was emphasized with the trade of Chase Claypool. The ball's got to get to with Johnson, and Pickens.
0: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs?
2: and uh, this, the quicker everybody figures that out, the better, particularly Kenny Pickett.
0: Yeah, when I saw, especially the three
3: slants, one to Deontay, one to Pickens, and another one to Deontay John Johnson, there was a P.I. on the play. Had the guy not tackled him, that was 58-yard touchdown pass, and I thought, let me check the rule book. I thought there was a rule against throwing slant passes where the receiver actually catches the ball um, in, in, uh, in in stride. Um The running game, very solid yesterday, Uh, and I thought one of the significant elements came post-game. I don't know if you were able to uh, interview uh, Najee Harris, but he was, and I don't want to use the word resigned, but he was accepting of the fact that using Jalen Warren could actually make him better. One of the things they wanted to do was to, I don't want to say limit his touches, but reduce his touches, and Warren now gives them the opportunity to do that, and it was on display yesterday.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's been uh, – I don't think Harris has been opposed to that uh, since the start uh, of the process way back in the spring. They they know that he touched the ball too many times last year, and it, it's just not sustainable. And Harris was talking about that. I recall specifically reporting day out of St. Vincent College where he said he would love to have another running back take some of the load off. Uh, I thought a lot of people got a little out of hand, uh, A, with the criticism of Harris, and B, with uh, the notion that while Jalen Warren should be the number one guy, Jalen Warren's one of the few things that's gone right this season in that he is exactly who they were looking for, a complementary back that they can trust and put in there and still feel like place can be made. But I think Najee Harris is that guy who should be what he was yesterday, a back who can carry it uh something approaching twenty times a game, pop a couple of big ones and wind up uh just over or just under hundred yards. If he can be that guy, I think it changes the offense dramatically. At least what it might be capable of. I mean they had the ball for almost thirty nine minutes and they got twenty points. Uh you know, you could throw six more in there if you think the kicker should have made the two field goals he missed. But Uh, Still not punching it in, still not scoring from any distance. That play you mentioned, I agree with you, that the one slant to Johnson was a touchdown if uh, he doesn't get held. So, hey, they almost had a splash play from distance, Stan, but they still have that longest touchdown of the year, eight yards (laughs) hanging around their necks.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Worse than the NFL are you? I admit I was caught by surprise. Now, you were at camp um, every day, and you saw the training camp uh, sessions and stuff. Um, I am really surprised by Warren's speed to the outside. You know, initially we thought, all right, he's a guy who takes the handoff, hits the hole very quickly, uh, a better version of Benny Snell. But he showed some speed yesterday I had no idea that he had.
2: Yeah, he's a pretty good player, and he's been he has been showing that uh, I can remember since we brought up camp. Uh, Mike Tomlin said he first noticed him in backs on backers when he wouldn't uh, back down in that drill. And he was very aggressive and attacking in that drill. He wanted to contact, and uh, Tomlin said that's how you get noticed if you're you know a nobody from nowhere. I'm, that's my words, not Tomlin's, but uh, that's how an undrafted rookie can start uh, taking steps toward being more than that and. Uh, I have no problems with Jalen Warren. I just when you got a number one pick with Najee Harris' pedigree, that's the guy I want playing more. Now, uh, the more they convert, the more they possess the ball, the the more plays they run. Then there's more to divide up, and everybody gets fed. But uh, I, I still think yesterday was, you know, a definite step in the right direction for Najee Harris. But there's a lot more meat on that bone, and they have to uh, to use a, a favorite Tomlinism look under every rock for the answer to why he hasn't been a really effective running back this season.
3: We understand that the saints were injured a lot of that on the offensive line, <clears throat> but on defense, and they've had their issues in the secondary with Marshawn and Latimer not there. Uh, but their front seven is usually, you know, pretty active and, uh, and very deep. Um, the offensive line, does it continue to get better even after the Eagles game? I mean, nobody got better. Everybody got worse. But how how big of a a fact was the offensive line in your view yesterday, despite the fact that Pickett was sacked six times I put a lot of that on him.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you on some of that uh, tentative play that you were referencing a moment ago. Uh, I think the offensive line was better. Uh, I don't don't think they're the hogs just yet. Uh, I know a lot of guys were going out of their way to credit them yesterday. Uh, New Orleans was also without a starting uh, backer. Pete Warner, who's a really good player and one of the starting defensive ends, so uh, the injury problems were throughout the defense. But again, back to that, you can only play who you can play. Thing uh, they really controlled that game. Standing offensive line had a lot to do with that. We you have the ball for 39 minutes and 56 seconds, or 38:56, whatever it was, th- that should be a blowout game. Uh, that it was, you know, still tied early in the fourth quarter is on the Steelers. But uh, hey, they found a way to get it done. They put it away. Uh, the, the fourth quarter couldn't have worked out any better. Uh, turnover, stop on downs, turnover, 10 points, and then the offense able to grind out the last 423 of the game or whatever it was. Um, they checked a lot of boxes. Uh, you know, They didn't do it against the Buffalo Bills, but small steps uh, in the right direction, I think.
3: Speaking of which, uh, maybe a big step, um, is this a view of what this defense could be I mean, T.J. Watt came back; he, may, he had an impact. Uh, but when you stop and think about getting Minka back, and you stop and think about—and and by the way, I thought Levi Wallace, if aside from the interception, had himself a hell of a game yesterday. When they get William Jackson, uh, William Jackson, William Jackson the third back with Minka back at some point, if not this week, then the week after, um, is this an idea of what Tomlin thought uh, a dominant defense this could be?
2: Yeah, I mean it's hard to ignore the obvious, right? We, we've we seen T.J. Watt out there twice, and they've been dominant. And when he hasn't played, they haven't been very good. And I'm, I'm, I, it continues to amaze me the impact Watt has when he's not there and when he's there. Yesterday, uh, he was more uh, just a kind of a presence out there, and he didn't blow up the stat sheet or wreck the game or anything like that. But, boy, the attention the Saints paid to him was profound, Stan. I mean, they were – Uh, throwing tight ends at him and running backs and guard-tackle double teams, and it freed up the other guys. Uh, One of my favorite uh, revelations after the game was Cam Hayward talking about what ended up to be a 14-yard run by Alvin Kamara. Watt came in off the edge unblocked, and he blasted into Taysom Hill, who, unfortunately for Watt, had just handed the ball off to Kamara. But as Cam explained it afterward, Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill has that gadget play uh, capability. Watt's assignment on the play was to take him out, and he did. And you know, you go back to that defensive cliche of everybody do their one eleventh, and it should work. And uh, don't don't try to do too much. Don't get out of your gap. All that stuff. They, they played it pretty much by the numbers yesterday. And again, the Orleans offensive line is injury ravaged. Don't have their best receiver. Oh well. Uh, that was a really sound defensive performance yesterday, and I think that had a lot to do with how effective it was.
3: Yeah, Kels Kamara to 40, uh, 40 yards, and you mentioned uh, Taysom Hill, three carries for one yard, and that's all they got. And you mentioned time of possessions. They only had 10 first downs the entire game. Um, and also we should mention they play without Miles Jack. I mean, that's not an insignificant loss uh, when and a guy like that's not playing. And, and in addition to that, Mike, um, maybe too often we look at just sack totals, that kind of thing, quarterback hits, but has Alex Highsmith quietly developed into a really good NFL linebacker?
2: Yeah, I think certainly above average at this point of his young career. He's not a star uh, that, that Watt is. and I mean, nobody's as good as Watt right now, but uh, certainly a very capable guy. I thought he was playing pretty well in Watt's absence, but when TJ Watts out there, and everybody's looking for number ninety, uh, the opportunities come around for a bunch of other guys, and, and Alex Highsmith really learning how to finish and uh, take advantage of them.
3: When you look at the remaining schedule, um, I think only a cockeyed optimist uh, would think that oh, they're going to make a run and make the playoffs. But you know, wh- where are they? Um, this was a you know, that's a win. It's against a bad team. Um, maybe we'll have a better. Uh, way to look at this after the Cincinnati game. But, I mean, um, do you see, as Tom would say, the arrow pointing up? And, you know, how far can they go? And is that necessarily beneficial in the long term in the overview for this team, meaning the future?
2: I think they can win a lot of games. I mean, let's just look at uh, Thursday night. I don't know if you caught any of Carolina and Atlanta.
3: Very uh, little, it, thankfully.
2: Yeah. <laughs> if you did, nothing you saw from either one of those teams was uh, especially concerning. Uh, I watched uh, the tail end of uh, probably the last quarter and a half of the Raiders and the Colts yesterday while you guys were doing the post-game show. Uh didn't see anything there that doesn't look beatable. That's four opponents that uh, you're going to play. And then you got four division games, which, you know, those usually are battles in the AFC North. The records are, are less significant. Than uh, the familiarity and the rivalry nature of it. I mean, I could see them going five and three uh, in the last eight games. I don't think that'll get them anywhere except to eight and nine. But uh, you know, I, I'm more concerned with the development of the team at this point than I would be draft positioning. And I think there's no better way to uh, identify development than uh, things that happen that lead to victory. So. Uh, You know, my advice would be try to win as many as you can. I know a lot of people want to see him get as high a pick as they possibly can, but uh, it is possible to find really good players when you're not drafted in the top ten. You just have to be pretty good at drafting.
3: And root against the Bears and make sure that second round. And root against the Bears. There you go. That's
2: kind of fun to do anyway.
3: Well, the the good news here is it's highly unlikely that that uh, the last game of the year against the Browns will be uh, put into a a nighttime slot. Uh, with both teams sitting there three and six. That's what I'm looking at.
2: Stan, I think they'd flex them out of Monday night in Indy if they could. Oh, I, no I, doubt. I guess, I guess that comes in next year uh, that they'll have that option. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. But uh, yeah, I think the Cleveland Pittsburgh game will be played in uh, relative anonymity uh, in uh, early January. That, that should be just a wonderful atmosphere and environment. But oh. January 8th or whatever it is, uh, probably be played in front of, you know, 30,000 or so loyalists. and uh, <laughs> A couple of teams whose level of interest might be uh, iffy.
3: Thanks to Mike Pazuta of the DV Morning Show and the Steelers Radio Network for joining us, giving us his insights. Again, the Steelers' uh, broadcast, Savernon Steelers, available to you twice weekly. Two new episodes each week. Glad you found us. A reminder that you can listen to me each day on Savernon Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. That's 970 a.m. But if you're out of the market, you can easily get that by downloading the iHeartMedia app. It's free, and you can get all kinds of Steelers programming on there. Thanks for joining us today on Savernon Steelers podcast. Be on thesteelers.com. That's where you can get that. We appreciate your listenership, and we'll talk to you again next time. Savernon Steelers. Thanks for listening.